Maybe someone in our group will attain sinless perfection. This talk is not for that person. This talk is for the person who may be more like me and will go through your life doing things that you wish you didn't do and not doing things that you know you should do. Awesome. Okay, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, we'll read the whole thing. We can divvy it up. We'll just go around in alphabetical order by your screen name. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, For you will not you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you eaten of the tree? I commanded you not to eat. Said the woman whom you gave to me to be with me. He gave me of the fruit of the tree. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you had done this, first are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his feet. So the woman said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of your days, all the days of your life. Morning. And thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat your food, and so you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the fall of man, obviously, when man is tempted by Satan, who is the snake. It Sometimes it seems like it was 
you know, wow, God was like really angry and mad and he sends them out of the garden. But really, God banishing man from the garden was good, lest they take him from the tree of life and had eternal life in this broken state. So God banishing them so that they wouldn't live forever uh, in these broken bodies that would be eternally separated from God uh, was good until Christ can come. And now, um, through what Jesus did on the cross at the resurrection, when Jesus comes back to the earth, we'll all get new bodies that will not be corrupted by sin and will live forever. And in Revelation, at the very end of Revelation, this tree of life appears again. And and then the tree of life is available to everyone. Anyone can eat from it because Christ has taken the consequences for our sin because the wages of sin is death. So God is the source of all life. To give mankind freedom, he had to give an option for mankind to be able to love. You have to be free. If you're not free not to love, then you can't really ever love. So God creates this tree where they can choose to have knowledge of good and evil apart from God, where they can choose not to be under God. They can choose to be autonomous. And so that's what they choose. They choose to be autonomous, to decide for themselves what's good and evil. And the consequences of not choosing God is always death. So God is life. And if he wants to give people the option to not choose him, well, then the only alternative to life is death. And so God told them that if you eat of that tree, then you're going to die. And sure enough, they did die. They were cut off from the Lord. They could no longer be infilled by the, the Spirit of God. Their spirit could not be connected to God's Spirit, which is how God designed mankind to function. So as human beings, we are supposed to be like interdimensional beings. We're supposed to have a connection to God who is invisible, and we're supposed to have a connection to the earth which is physical and visible, and man is supposed to be the gateway for God's dominion on the earth. So when God first made man, he said, let man have dominion over the earth. And that's how it's supposed to be now. We're supposed to have a connection with God, and we're supposed to exercise dominion over the earth as human beings. But God's dominion is always loving. God cares for his creation. He doesn't exploit his creation. He, ha he exercises dominion and love. The problem with mankind is that when we became separated from God, then we exercised our dominion in a selfish way, just always serving ourselves instead of trying to serve one another or glorify God. So that dominion then became corrupted, and that's what brought all the pain and all the suffering and all the difficulty that we see in the world today. And so Christ came to set us free from that sin so that we could return to the way that God intended us to be. That is, we could become the vessels that God worked through. Our sin could be forgiven and our spirit could be joined to God forever. And then we could live even as God wanted Adam to live with this connection with God, but also exercising dominion over the earth. And so uh, we've been saved. You know, our spirit has been saved. Our soul has been saved. But our bodies are still going to die and turn to dust. And God is going to resurrect us and give us a new body that will never die and will never turn to dust and will never get sick. And it will be our forever eternal body just like he gave to Jesus when Jesus rose from the dead. But this passage of scripture tell, tells kind of how mankind came to arrive at this place where we we see humanity today, this place of being separated from God. And the work of the church is to reconcile people back to God through the message of Jesus Christ. But tonight, I specifically want to look at one part of this verse, verse 8. It says, 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, Adam and Eve's theology probably wasn't really very well developed there because, you know, you can't, you don't get to hide from God. God knows. Like, and so uh, I don't think God is asking for information when in verse 9 he says, where are you? You know, I think he's calling out to man and kind of like saying, Adam, come out. You know, what are you doing? It's kind of silly because Adam answers him, you know, and I, he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So what I want to talk about tonight very briefly is that we have really two choices when it comes to our mistakes and when we sin and when we do things that make us ashamed and embarrassed. One choice is to be afraid and ashamed. So he's ashamed, he's embarrassed, he's afraid, he's fearful, and he runs away from God. And the other choice is to come to God and to find mercy. And that's, you know, that's what God invites us to in Christ, that in Jesus Christ, God has paid the price for our sin. Of course, I mean, Adam and Eve didn't have this option, but for us in this day and age, we can still be tempted to allow our sin to drive us from God. Like when we do things that we know we shouldn't do, or we don't do things that we know we should do, it's very easy to feel ashamed and embarrassed. And we just think, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't really want to talk to God today. I don't want to interact with God because I'm embarrassed about myself. I feel ashamed. I, I, I know I haven't done the thing I should do. And so we let that sin actually hardens our heart. So turn with me to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing. Good. And can you jump down and read verse 13? But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Great. So there's a lesson there in that like when God comes to us to comfort us or to speak to us, we can listen to him or we can harden our hearts. And you'll see in verse 13 that Hudson read, it said, uh, exhort each other. So the Bible is telling us that we should encourage one another as brothers, excuse me, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should be encouraging each other. Like, hey, you know, God loves you. Remember what Jesus did for you. God is not mad at you. God put all of your sin onto Christ. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are blameless. All those things that Ephesians chapter 1 says, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are God's beloved child. You are above reproach. It means that no one can bring an accusation against you. All those things that the Bible tells us that we are, we should be encouraging and reminding one another. It says, exhort each other so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when we sin, there is a possibility that it will harden our heart. You know, y'all have heard me say many times that sin does not change the way that God feels toward us, but it can change the way that we feel toward God. And so the danger of sin is not that it will make God reject us. God has already taken care of our sin through what Jesus did at the cross. The danger of sin is that it will make 
God unacceptable to us. Not it, it doesn't make us unacceptable to God, but it makes us where we are hardened toward God. So God comes to us and he speaks to us and he says, I love you. You're my beloved. You are blameless. You are perfect in Christ. And if we let sin harden our hearts, we'll say, no, that can't be true. I don't want to hear that. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And I'm, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go back to that nature of Adam and do what Adam did where when he sinned that he was ashamed, he was embarrassed, he hid, and he fled from God's presence. And so my exhortation to you, there may be someone in our group who attains to total perfection and never sins again. Like maybe when you turn 15, you will become perfect and you will never ever sin again. That is not my personal testimony. Uh, I, still, I, I still continue to sin a lot and often. And I wish I didn't. If I could push a button and make all of my sin go away, I would push it as fast as I could. But the Bible says that I, as long as I'm in the body, this body is still corrupt. Uh, and the body, in Romans it says, the body is dead because of sin. So my, my flesh, this body that I have, is not capable of knowing God. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, the worshipers God speaks must worship him in spirit and truth. I have to know God not through physical interaction with him with my body, but through a spiritual interaction with him through my spirit. So my body is dead. And, and Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he said, I have not been yet... I have not yet been made perfect, but I continue to press on. So maybe someone in our group will attain sinless perfection. This talk is not for that person. This talk is for the person who may be more like me and will go through your life doing things that you wish you didn't do and not doing things that you know you should do. And it's in those moments, I think those moments, the way we respond to our failures is just as important as how we deal with our successes that when we mess up and when we do things we shouldn't do or when we don't do things that we you know I really felt in my heart I was supposed to go tell that person about Jesus or I was supposed to give this much money away or I was supposed to try and serve this person and I didn't do it those moments where we feel guilty and ashamed and embarrassed it's very important that we learn to allow those moments to push us toward God and not to pull us away from God. So Adam's sin caused him to be ashamed and to hide and to run from God. But we need to allow those moments when we fail and when we mess up and when we sin, we must allow those moments to push us toward God and to allow God to, to draw us to us. The Bible says that God draws us to us with ropes, with cords of loving kindness, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that God is not mad at us, that if, if God were willing to let his son die for you while you were a sinner, then much more now uh, that you're one of his children, that you've accepted Christ, much more now is God going to accept you. And that's what the chapter 8 of Romans is about. But, uh, we're not going to check that out tonight, just for time's sake. But, you know, we can see kind of, sort of two examples of this in the example of Peter and Judas. So both Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus Christ on the night that he was arrested. Judas obviously betrayed him by leading the soldiers and the Pharisees to him. Peter betrayed him by denying that he even knew him. And so, but they responded to their betrayal very differently. So Judas 
despaired of life and killed himself. And Peter kind of hung on to hope and saw Jesus be resurrected. And then Christ came to him and restored him. And and they have that interaction where he asked him three times, you know, the same number of times that he was asked whether or not he knew Christ. Jesus asked him now, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, And kind of restores him and puts him back in this place of leadership. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So Peter kind of is an example of someone who would hang on to hope. And when he heard that Christ was risen, he ran to the gravesite instead of running away from Christ, instead of despairing of his life like Judas did and killing himself. When, when Peter heard that Christ was alive, he ran to go be with Christ, to find Christ. And you remember the story when uh, they're fishing and Peter, they're, they're in the boat and the Lord's on the shore and they're, they're having this interaction with Jesus who's standing on the shore asking them if they've caught anything. And, you know, and they say, no, we haven't. And Jesus says, lower your nets. And they lower their nets and they have this big catch of fish just like they did in the beginning where Jesus first calls them to be their disciples. They're having a repeat of this experience. And John, being the more perceptive one, says, it's the Lord. And Peter is like, oh, yeah. And it says that he jumps in the water and he swims to the shore like because he's you know he's undressed for work and he just jumps in and so Peter still has this zeal where even though he's embarrassed and ashamed that he betrayed God and he failed him he doesn't let that he doesn't run away from following Christ on the contrary he still has this desire to draw near to Christ and to approach God in James chapter 4 it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I, I can't prove this 100% from the Bible, so you'll have to you know just test everything like you should always do, by the way. But I really think James is not actually written to Christians. I think the book of James is actually written to Jews. It, this is how the book of James starts. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so every other epistle, like Ephesians, Galatians, those, they always say to the church or to the saints in Ephesus. And this letter of James starts very differently. He says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So I believe James is actually writing to Jews, some of whom may be Christians already and some of whom are not yet Christians. And so he's he's exhorting them, the ones who are not yet Christians, when he says this Uh, James chapter 4 verse 8 where he says draw near to God and he will draw near to you because you can't really tell a Christian to draw near to God because the Bible says that God already indwells us God is already as close to us as he's ever going to be and we're seated in heavenly places so our spirit is already entwined with Christ once we get saved so that's why I kind of think this is not actually written to Christians I, I think it's written to Jews whom he is exhorting to come and follow Christ. So he's saying, draw near to God and draw, and God will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And that's another thing. Of course, we're all sinners before we get saved. But after we become Christians, the Bible no longer refers to Christians as sinners. The Bible calls Christians saints. So anyway, my point in this is, if God would inspire someone to write, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, that's written to non-Christians, in my opinion. But... How much more then, if God wants non-Christians to draw near to him, does he want us, who are his his people, to draw near to him? We're going to do uh, two more verses, and then I'm going to wrap up. Who can read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Great. So God, God wants us to cast the things that are weighing on us on him. So when we mess up, we, we push an old lady down in the crosswalk, we kick a puppy, we look at porn on the internet, we rob a bank, we slap our brother in the face. When we mess up in those ways, God wants us to bring that stuff to him. God does not want us to withdraw from him and try and figure out it, get it figured out on our, on our own, and maybe in a few days I won't feel so bad, and then I'll come to God. No, God wants us to come to him immediately after we messed up and to come to him in that, in that messed upness and, and let him love us with his grace. Let, him, let his grace be functional in our lives so that his grace can cleanse us from, from sin and can transform us so that we, we, hopefully we find over time that we're punching our brother in the face less and less, that we're pushing down fewer ladies in the crosswalk, that we're robbing fewer banks, that we're looking at less pornography, that we're doing less of those things and we're doing more of the things that engage our hearts in following God and we're serving the Lord. So uh, last scripture for tonight, who can read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 6? Oh, sorry, 16. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is really one of the themes of the book of Hebrews where he's talking about Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. So we are blameless before God. So we can come before God with confidence. Not confidence that, oh, today I was a good person. Today I had a quiet time. Today I shared the gospel with somebody. It's not confidence in our flesh. It's confidence in what Jesus Christ has done. In fact, in other parts of the scripture, Paul specifically writes, I want you to have no confidence in your flesh. We should have no confidence in, oh, I'm a really nice person. Oh, God must really like me. I'm really sweet. I'm really kind. No, our confidence is not in who we are. Our confidence is in who Jesus is and that Christ was sacrificed for us, that Jesus died for us so that we are blameless before God. And that's how we can have confidence after we've robbed a bank, we pushed down an old lady in the crosswalk, we looked at porn on the internet. We can still have confidence before God because our righteousness is not a works-based righteousness. It's a righteousness that's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to leave you all with that tonight. And just to remember, as you go through life, for those in the group who are not going to attain to perfect uh perfection after age 15 or whenever i want you to remember that when you mess up when you sin when you fail let that draw you to god let you know be be aware and know that god still desires you in those moments and as in those times god wants you to draw near to him god wants you to approach him god wants you to seek him and to not let those things drive you away from his presence in fear and shame. But he wants you to remember the cross. He wants you to remember that Jesus died so that you could still approach him with confidence. To remember that you're righteous and you're blameless because of what Jesus did for you. And the more we accept those things, you know, if we don't let sin harden our hearts, the more we accept that, wow, even right after I look at pornography, I'm still blameless and righteous. Even right after I punch my brother in the face i'm still blameless before god like the more we accept that that's our true identity the more 
our actions will actually line up with that identity. And we'll realize, just like Paul said, he's like, how can we, how can we go on and sin now that we've been transformed? He says, okay, so just because you're going to get more grace when you sin, does that mean you should sin more so that grace can increase more and more? He's like, no, no, of course not. You died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? So as we accept that our identity is based on what Jesus did for us, that we are blameless, we are righteous, then those issues, whatever the issues may be, will become less and less in our lives and we'll continue to mature and to grow in Christ. Amen.